Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders up in the Tarantula Room on an absolutely gorgeous Sunday. We're going to try to get the podcast on the morning, though, because when it's nice and sunny and 80 here, it's usually about 80 to 82 degrees in the Tarantula Room. I'm thinking my growth rates are going to be off the charts this summer. As I've mentioned before, in my old house, the Tarantula Room there, it was on a shady side of the house. So usually, even when it hit in the 90s outside, that tarantula room would hit around 80, maybe 82 degrees, and it didn't happen all that often. However, since we've been here, I've noticed that when the temperature outside hits 80 degrees or so, the temperature in here hits around 80 degrees. Now, we did visit the house one time during the summer when it was 90-something. It was like 82 or 83 degrees in here, so it doesn't go much higher than that. But it is going to be quite warm, and obviously, as I've said ad nauseum in many, many videos, higher temperatures can lead to faster metabolisms and faster growth rates. So I have a funny feeling it's going to be the summer of rehousings because a lot of these guys I've noticed are already in pre-molt and put, you know, ready to molt. And a lot of that has to do, I think, with the warmer temperatures. So that'll be interesting and something that Unfortunately, in my videos, it's funny, I've been thinking about this because on my videos, I try to assure people they don't need any extra heat source by telling them that I've kept my tarantulas. A lot of the ones that I had that I picked up as slings were back before I had any extra heat in that tarantula room. And they did perfectly fine with the temperatures sometimes dipping. Like the first couple of years, they would dip, you know, 66 degrees every once in a while, 68, hover around 68 to 70. And they did perfectly fine. They grew great. They ate well. There was no issues there. Now it's going to be one of those deals where I talk about my temperatures. I'm going to have to put a little caveat like, yes, they're a little bit warmer now that we're in the new house, but I have kept them lower before because I want people to be reassured about that because that's a big one. I get a lot of folks that unfortunately that comes from care sheets or videos where people talk about ideal temperatures. It'll, it'll never cease to drive me nuts because there may be, I don't know, there may be, if we did scientific research, an ideal spot for optimal growth. I don't know. I just see a creature that, you know, or creatures that tend to do well in a myriad of temperature ranges. So when people say that it's, you know, the ideal temperature, what happens is people go out and they try to replicate that ideal temperature or they look in the temperature reading in their living room. They're like, oh my God, it's only 72 degrees. And this guy said it has to be kept at 82 degrees. What am I going to do? And then I get an email or a message asking how they can heat their tarantulas. So it'll be interesting moving ahead when I start mentioning that. The good thing is the wintertime, I keep, well, even the wintertime now, it's the temperature up here is set to 73. So it's still a little bit higher than it was traditionally at the other house. Well, well, no, it's right around the, it's probably right around the same place, but the other house, there was much more of a gradient because I had a heat source that like up high would be a lot warmer than down low. The lower shelves would sometimes be 70 degrees or so. Here, the lower shelves are right around 72, 73. They don't dip that much lower, but anyway, just something interesting that I'm realizing in the new house now, and it makes for wonderful. I tried to do one of my intros the other day with, uh, for one of my videos and I had my sweatshirt on and my Lord, it was, it took me 11 minutes to shoot the, I know it was 11 painstaking minutes to shoot that intro. And I was sweating like a, a pig after I was done. Cause it was so warm up here. So we'll bra be breaking out these short sleeve shirts or at least not the, you know, we'll be wearing the sweatshirts for very much longer during those intros. So enough of that. Today's topic is going to be, and the individual Adam who proposed this question to me, thank you so much, Adam. I, I was supposed to cover this like three weeks ago and just, it, it wasn't in the car. I just, one, I ran too long. The second one I ran too long and I, I wanted to do it justice, but he very nicely labeled the email crisis of confidence, possible podcast topic. So when I see that, that's one of the things I wrestle with with these podcasts sometimes is 
a title for what I'm talking about. So thank you, Adam, for not only giving me a fantastic topic to discuss, but also giving me the topic. We're all wrapped up in a nice little bow. So I'm going to read part of the email. Hi, Tom. I've suffered from imposter syndrome for much of my adult life, and it recently reared its ugly head in my tarantula-keeping hobby. No matter how much I learn or how much knowledge I attain, I convince myself it isn't enough and that I'm irresponsible or should keep my experiences to myself. I did a social media poll and was surprised at the result where 90% of respondees had said that they had similar worries about their level of knowledge and the quality of care they give to their tarantulas. There was also a huge overlap between the people who said yes, being people who I'd consider to be intelligent, well-researched, and confident keepers. So maybe there's a correlation between that and a desire to learn and do the best for the animals that you truly can. Have you ever had a similar experience and how did you get through it? Do you think it can become detrimental to your overall care? Well, this is a great one, and short answer is yes, I have, and I've documented some of it before. I, I don't know how much, I can't remember how much I've gotten into it, but uh, let me just start by talking a little bit about my situation myself, and then we'll get into, uh, one of the reasons I wanted to wait on this one is I actually went back through emails and looked for a couple key emails to kind of back up what I'm going to say here, because I do think it's a big thing, a big deal. Now, what I found is there's a couple different types of people in the hobby. There's the ones that are constantly worried that they're doing the wrong thing. They're always researching, looking for new ways to keep it. And then there are the folks that read the first care sheet they find, and that's the way to keep them. And if the thing dies because the care sheet was wrong, they just go, oh, this, you know, it happens, slings die and they move on, or spiders die and they move on. So, But I have found the majority, obviously, if people are reaching out through comments or through emails or through social media to ask me questions, generally speaking, they 99% of the time, they are people who want to get it right. They desperately want to make sure that they're giving the tarantulas the correct care that they need. And in many instances, they're not new people to the hobby. They've been around for a little while. I had a guy the other day that contacted me that had been keeping for six years, which is, that's a long amount of time. And he had some questions because he was seeing something that he didn't understand in his collection. He was worried about what he was doing and he was reaching out for care, uh, care advice. So that's fantastic. And I'm kind of the same way. I don't, Obviously, there's not too many times I reach out anymore to people, but I am one of these people that will lurk. And if I have a question, I go and I go through social media outlets. I go through the forums, especially boards. I can't say there's enough is just a treasure trove of information because, you know, chances are if you've experienced something, somebody there has also and people have responded to it. Sometimes it can be a little bit cranky, but there's usually good information in there. So personally, when I first got into doing the Tom's Big Spider stuff, that's when it first started happening for me. I wanted to share when I started, it was originally the blog and I used it as a blog. Like at that point, it was just kind of, here are some things I've learned or here's what's going on in my collection or here's this spider that just molted. Look how pretty it is. There wasn't, it wasn't as educational as it is now. I wasn't so much trying to be educational. I thought it was more, A, I didn't think anybody was ever going to see it. I got to be completely honest there. You know, I mentioned before that I'd get like three views and I was all excited and it was my daughter, Sid, my wife. And we'd giggle about it. But somehow, whatever I was doing, people started finding it. It was resonating. And then it became more of a, that was the first time where it was like, what am I doing? I didn't think anybody was ever going to see this stuff. So I've always been obsessive, absolutely obsessive with making sure that whatever I say or write or present in a video is spot on. It's not, I don't take chances. And when I say, I'm sure a lot of people out there do the same thing. So I don't want to make it like I'm some, you know, it's some unique trait. I'm assuming other people also do that. But I mean, I am obsessive, especially early on. I never wanted to put anything out there that 
I wasn't 100% sure about. My thing was, if I put it out there, A, somebody's going to take my advice and they're going to use it. And if it's wrong, it could harm or kill their animal. And I would feel terribly about that. And then B, I never wanted confusion. I didn't want it to be something that it was up for debate. I wanted people to feel comfortable going there knowing, you know what, this guy has looked at all the different angles, all the different ways to keep it, and this stuff is spot on. That was my, that was always my goal. However, once I made that transition from, hey, here's my spider, let's talk about stuff, it was always in the back of my mind. I would check comments with a like this feeling of dread that I was going to be exposed, like somebody was going to come on because when you're that careful and that worried about making sure that every word you put into that, you know, article is spot on, it wears away a little bit because you're just waiting for somebody to go, "Uh uh-uh, that's not right. So yes, early on, it reared its ugly head. I remember a couple times where I'm like, should I even be doing this? Do I even have the experience? Is my stuff right? As much as I research it, what if I'm wrong? So yes, it did get into my head. It bothered me a lot. That's, I think, one of the reasons I got so wordy in my articles, and I think it, it became, you know, it's what started off as kind of a detriment because it really was playing mind games with me, became an asset later on because I tried to make sure I covered every single angle because in my mind, I was working all the angles. I was working, you know, bottom line, I can tell you that they don't, you know, back to the temperature thing, we had people that would come on and go, well, I've read that they've been, they have to be kept at 80 degrees. And I'd be like, well, I can tell you right now, I, from my experience, that isn't necessary. I've kept mine and they've dropped down to 68 degrees. I remember having a conversation with somebody I did something I believe on Theraphosis Sturmy and the guy came on and went you know it was something along the lines of your information is going to get spiders killed they need the temperatures they need much higher temperatures or they die and I was like no they don't because not only have I proven that by raising mine up to adulthood in these temperatures and they're doing well but I also researched a lot of other people again it was never just my information I always cross-referenced it with others, read as much as I could. If there was some caveat or something weird, I remember when I was doing my research on T. Sturmy, I remember one guy saying he'd never kept them moist. He'd always kept them just on dry substrate with a water dish. And I remember that was in the back of my mind, like, all right, there's something somebody could come out with and say, hey, well, what about this? So I try to cover all angles, but it's impossible to do. There's always going to be something that pops up. And those are the things that kind of make you learn. So yeah, early on, definitely, there were times where I was like, should I be doing it? Especially when it gained steam. Because I think, and Adam, I know you have the YouTube channel and there are folks, a lot of folks out there that are moving towards the YouTube channels and they're doing the YouTube channel stuff. It Once you put that out there, you're putting yourself out there. And regardless, I mean, obviously we can think of a lot of channels where people emulate the person that's doing, that creates the channel, the creator, and the person really isn't practicing great husbandry, we know how that works. You get the quote-unquote fans and they follow whatever you do and they figure, hey, he's on YouTube. He must know what he's talking about or she's on YouTube. She must know what she's talking about and it might not be good information. So I think for those of us, you know, moving, doing the YouTube thing, that is something that's always going to be a concern and I think that's one of the spots that will trip people up. So what I'm going to do is kind of through this one, we're going to go over some of the spots that tend to cause these things to happen because I've noticed there are some key benchmarks in the hobby that tend to trigger these type of thoughts. And so to kick it off, we're talking about YouTube, moving in YouTube or doing the blog or doing something public or doing a podcast. I just had somebody ask me about a podcast. The individual was hoping to do a podcast, but felt like they didn't have the information to put together a podcast. And my 
my thing's always been this, and, and this is a tough one because it's like anybody can go out there and put their stuff on YouTube. Anybody can go out there and talk about their hobby in a podcast. There's nothing wrong with that. Just be careful. You're presenting yourself as you are, and you're accurately presenting your level of confidence and your level of, I don't want to say mastery because there's no mastery, but your level of experience. So in other words, uh, early on, I noticed a lot of YouTubers would come on and they'd kind of fudge how many years they've been in the hobby to try to make it look like they were more experienced than they were. And, you know, there's the old joke, like I never count my time with my G Terry. I had her for years before I really got serious into the hobby. That doesn't count as me being a hobbyist. That's the easiest spider to take care of on the in the world. And I managed to keep her alive during that time period. That isn't me being a, you know, keeper for 10 years. That's me keeping one tarantula. And I think a lot of folks will take that thing like, well, I had my first tarantula when I was five years old. And they try to make it like, and now I'm 45. So I've had 40 years experience. It doesn't go that way. I think one thing you can do right off the bat is if you are somebody that's going public, you're going to do a podcast, you're going to do a blog, you're going to do a YouTube channel. Be open about where you are. Be open about the fact that you don't have all the answers. There is nothing wrong with that. I think where people start to freak out is when they say stuff and it's beyond their experience level or they're presenting things and they're trying to do it in a way that's like, this is the correct way. And then they start second guessing themselves. Like, what if this isn't the correct way? That will start to eat away at your mind a little bit, you know, give you those sleepless nights. So I think one thing right off the bat, if you're going to do something public, just be vocal, be out there about where you're at. Come at it from a hobbyist. Don't come out like, Hey, I'm the big god of tarantulas or whatever, and I'm going to show it. And you guys can, we can all name people out there that kind of do it without overtly doing it. Like they, they go out and they present themselves as experts, but then go, but I'm not an expert. We all know that. that's one of the reasons I hate when people call me an expert. I'm not an expert. I, I've got some experience. I do think I'm observant and I obviously I teach. So I, I like to think those kind of go together and make my material pretty decent, but nobody's an expert. Everybody screws up. Everybody messes up. So I think if, you know, looking at the YouTuber aspect of it, everybody, I know there's folks out there will say nobody should be putting their stuff up on YouTube unless you have so many years of experience. I don't agree with that because I do think there's a lot to be gleaned from folks who are wrestling with the same things you are. If you go out and do a video about how you accidentally dropped a cricket in with your spider that was in pre-mol and you realize afterwards, that's valuable information because that's something people can go on and go, oh, wait a minute, I've done the exact same thing. Or, oh, there's a lesson to be learned for this. When the tarantula hasn't eaten in you know four months and showing sign of pre-molt, then maybe I shouldn't drop a cricket in so it accidentally goes down its burrow. Uh, whatever the situation may be, as long as you take an approach that I'm a learner. I think that's where people start to freak out when they turn that corner. And I've talked to several people lately who have started doing either YouTube or even Instagram. You start putting some spiders up on Instagram and suddenly you're getting approached by people that aren't as into the hobby as you asking questions that you may or may not know the answers to. I think being able to admit that you don't know the answers is huge. I had somebody ask me the other day how to go about, they were breeding GBBs, the C. cyaneopubicins. And they asked me for advice on when the female would drop the sack, what they could do. And I just said, simply, unfortunately, I don't have any firsthand experience. And that's what I've always tried to do. There are things people will contact me about that I don't know the answer to, and I'll try to point them in the right direction. So I, I think, and I don't know, hopefully, Adam, this is falling in line with what you're saying, but I think if you're doing the right things, if you're presenting yourself in a way that I am a keeper, I am still learning, here are some things I've done, you're all set. You're not trying to, as long as you're not trying to be something you're not, as long as you're not trying, and again, I'm not judging your experience level, you may have 
years and years of experience, whatever, just be honest about that. If you have years of experience, you have years of experience. If, if you've successfully kept things, put that out there. That's what I always try to do when I put my stuff out there is just explain that, listen, these are things that I've had success with. This is what works for me and leave it at that. I'm not trying to sit there and say I'm the master of spiders. I am not. There are people out there with a lot more experience than me that have done a lot more for the hobby, that have done a lot more breeding, that probably have forgotten more that I'll ever know. And just keeping that in mind helps a lot. So again, with crisis of confidence. First one is when you start publicly putting your stuff out there. I think that one, a lot of people, it happened to me. I've spoken to many other keepers. And unfortunately, the keepers that this doesn't happen with tend to be the ones that are doing videos that we're all complaining about in the hobby. And I, I firmly believe that they're the ones that don't want to take, you know, they'll put something out there. They're not, they're not even thinking about what the correct way to do something is. They're just, this is my way of doing it. Even if it's wrong, they tell people, you know, this is how to do it. Or they continue doing things that aren't correct or that most of the hobby would agree with isn't probably the best way. We'll do it that way to go about doing something. People will watch that. They'll emulate it, have issues. We're not going to get into that part of it, but I do feel, and I think that goes back to Adam, the fact that you said that the people that seem to express that, those types of feelings of inadequacy and, you know, I believe you mentioned the imposter syndrome they tend to be the more thoughtful and intelligent people. I mean, not to just broad, you know, paint it with a broad stroke there, but generally speaking, if you're constantly analyzing what you're doing and trying to find better ways to do it, it means you're thoughtful. You're thinking, you're recognizing that not everything's black and white, set in stone. There's different ways of doing things. And those are the people that are usually open more to criticism, but that take the criticism more to heart. So if somebody comes on and says, hey man, you're not quite doing this right, it not they will listen to it, but they will also, it'll kind of hit them right in the heart, like, oh God, I'm doing things wrong. So I think, again, with the YouTube thing or anything you're doing public, just keep it in, just be honest and truthful and sincere with where you're at as far as keeping what you're doing and the fact that you don't have all the answers. Even with Tom's Big Spiders for years, the subtitle of that was a tarantula keeper's journal because I wanted it less like, Hey guys, this is how to do it. And more like, Hey guys, this is kind of my ruminations on what I've been doing and what's been working. And I always kind of stuck to that philosophy that this is just what works for me and try to keep it out that way. Because that way, when people come in with alternate points of view or different ways of doing it, even if it's something I look at and go, eh, so sure about that. I'm not just putting up that wall and going, I'm right, you're wrong. So I think that's one trick right off the bat for, you know, as far as crisis of confidence, if it if it's brought upon by the fact that you are now taking your collection and you're reporting on what you're doing publicly and, and putting yourself out there as, you know, somebody that might be used as a source of information, then you just need to be truthful with yourself, truthful with the people that you're presenting the information to. And again, it's a huge step. And I know like it's if you've got your own collection, you're not reporting out, you're not doing a blog, a podcast, a YouTube channel, Instagramming everything. Nobody ever needs to know what goes on in your house. As soon as you open it up, you, you open yourself up to criticism. And that can be very difficult for people who have a difficult time taking criticism. Anything you put out there, there are going to be, even if you're doing things 100% correct, there will be people out there that have alternate points of views that will go on and criticize you and say, no, nope, that's not how you do it or whatever. And so just be aware of that when you go in. And if you're confident in what you're doing, if you've done your research, those people, it's easy enough to go, okay, well, that's great. Moving on. And that's what I've always tried to do and try to avoid situations where you're going to end up in an argument about who's right and who's wrong when there's no clear line with. So first one would definitely be, you know, the, as far as the YouTube aspect of it, that's one thing that tends to trigger it. Another thing that triggers it is a death in the collection 
And that one I think is a big one for people. You're keeping tarantulas. Everything's going great. Sometimes people, I've heard people that go through, you know, a year, two years, three years with never having a death in their collection. As soon as they get one, that's when the confidence starts to crumble a bit. I know it's happened. And I've been, I'm not going to go really in depth in this one because I think I've covered this before in quite a few other places that I think deaths really, when you suddenly have a spider die, if you're that type of person that's intelligent and contemplative and you've perfected everything, you've, you've done your research, you're constantly looking you know, at how other people are keeping it, you've, you've kept the spider and all of a sudden it dies on you, that, that shakes you a bit. And as far as having that type of crisis of confidence, I've talked about before where I got the, the bags of substrate that were contaminated probably with herbicide or something. I Long story short, it was wintertime. Everybody, that the type of substrate that I use or soil, I usually buy topsoil. The places had basically closed up for the winter. They had wrapped it all up so you couldn't get any bags, but I went to a local farm supply shop. They had bags of substrate. It was supposed to be organic. I'm like, perfect. There didn't seem to be any additives. I used it. Well, what started was a winter of many, 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 many deaths. It was brutal. It was the worst, I think the worst moment in the hobby for me. I'm sitting here making videos where my collection is just dying off and I couldn't figure out what the heck was happening. And unfortunately, it took me a while to actually pinpoint what the issue was. And by that time, I lost basically all of my assassin bugs. I was breeding assassin bugs. I was going to trade some off. I was going to get uh, set up another uh, commune of those. They all died off a bunch of tarantulas. It was all, it was the same symptoms. The assassin bugs went quick. Like it killed them off almost instantly. I was like, what in God's name is happening? The other ones, it was like one dying here. One, they'd go into what looked like primo and they would just die. It was brutal. And I remember being on my walk with Billy going, I don't want to do anything public anymore. I don't want to do this. I feel like a fraud. I feel like an imposter. Who am I to go out there and tell people how to keep your spiders when mine are all dropping like flies? And it was rough because it was gutted because I was losing animals that I loved and adored. And because I felt like I should not be continuing anymore with Tom's big spider stuff. It was the one time that I almost walked away from it because I'm like, and it was in retrospect, it was Probably it was an overreaction, but it was really tough when every time you turned around, something was dying because I remember sitting there with Billy going, I raised some of these from babies. Like if I wasn't doing something right, they would have died a lot earlier than this because we had like adults that were dying and was trying to rationalize in my head about what's going on. So yes, I've been there. Anytime I lose something, I lost a sling the other day that was doing great, had it from a little half inch sling. It was about probably a juvenile size, about an inch and a half to an inch and three quarters. It molted. It looked like it was doing great. And I went and found it dead and I was heartbroken. And then immediately the doubt sets in. What did I do wrong? Was I keeping it wrong? Was it too moist? Did I not have enough ventilation? All those things go through your head. And I assume if this can happen to me where I have at least a, you know, I have a room full of animals I've raised up from slings to hopefully support the fact that I at least know somewhat what I'm doing with them. It must be really brutal when it happens for somebody that doesn't have the experience. So I can remember back to losing, you know, the first time I had a spider with DKS thinking, what did I do wrong? Was this my fault? Did I, did I somehow contribute to this? Anytime you have a death, it shakes you up and you're, it's, it's, double difficult because a you've lost an animal that's something you are responsible for caring for and that animal died in your care so that hurts and then you start thinking what's going to happen with my other animals so i do think that's a big one as far as causing those you know lapses in confidence i've spoken to people i can't tell you how many times i've spoken to people that 
There's a couple different scenarios for this one. The first one is you lose your first spider and then you immediately lose all confidence. I've had people say they're thinking about getting rid of the other ones they have. It's their fault, which part of it is it's, there's a good side to it because it means you care enough and you're always looking to improve and you're not being one of these people that just goes up, they die and moving on and not trying to figure out what went wrong. But if you go too far and it breaks your confidence to the point where you don't even want to look at your collection because it causes too much anxiety and stress because you're waiting for the next one to die, that's not a good thing. I can remember the feeling of when my spiders were dying due to that substrate of every day checking just expecting another one to be dead because at that point I couldn't figure out it was just the ones I rehoused and sadly it, it was a rehousing video I watched and all of a sudden it clicked that oh my god these guys are all in the same bag of substrate Every day going in there, like my place, my fortress of solitude, the place I go when I'm upset or when I've had a bad day at work and it kind of calms me down, became another stressor. That's rough. So I think for some people, it's when they lose their first. For others, it's when you have a group of deaths. I just got an email that I have to respond to after I get done with this from somebody who has just had one of those situations where they lost like three in a row. That really kills your confidence because first time it happens, you go, Oh, well, you know what? It, it might have been sick. It might have had a bad molt. There was something going on. It, it might not have been my fault. Second one happens, you go, oh man, this this sucks. Like what what's going on here? Third one, now all, like I don't know about you guys, but I put it all on me. It was like recently I lost my D diamantinensis and what was the other one? The, my parvum C parvum. That gutted me. These were two older females that died. That really bothered me. And then I was just like up here with a flashlight every day waiting for the next one that was going to die. It really hurt. So deaths really can knock you in the butt. I think the trick to get over it, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I'd like to give you a trick. I'm still upset over that sling I lost. Uh, it was a couple days ago and I'm still like, it bothers me when I think about it. So I get it 100%. But the trick is to sit there, take a step back, look at, if you've been in the hobby for a little while, look at the ones you've raised. Look at what you've done. You obviously, if you're raising them from slings to adulthood, you're, you're doing something correct. And then try to troubleshoot. Go through and see, is there anything I could have done differently? Did it dry out? I had somebody the other day came to me. They were like, they weren't sure what was wrong. They realized that the temperature had jacked up because it got really warm and they thought that it might have dehydrated and they realized that the substrate that they thought that they had just moistened a week before had dried out really quick. That could be it. That sucks. And yep, that's one of those, it might have been a keeper error that led to it, but at least it's something you can fix for the future. Because I can tell you that happens once, you usually never do it again. So try to learn from it, make a list, go through different things that could have caused it. And then if you go through that list, if you've reached out to other people and you're not finding any real direct cause, try to put it aside, try to move on and remember that they do, you know, sometimes you do have deaths. That's, I, I hate to use that expression because that's the one that a lot of people are like, oh yeah, I just lost five things, but sometimes they die. No, we're talking about after going through troubleshooting, figuring out that, you know, there's nothing you can figure out on your end that you could have done. Then you try to move on, but it's tough. It, it is tough. And I, again, this is... It, I'm known for doing this Tom's Big Spider stuff. I think people, obviously, people look up to me as some master of tarantulas, which I am not. I go through it myself. Anytime I lose one, I blame myself and I try to figure out ways to improve next time. And a lot of times I'm left with no answers. And that just, um, that almost makes me feel worse because I can't pinpoint what happened. So death is a big one as far as causing, you know, the crisis of confidence. 
as long as you're doing your due diligence, trying to figure out what happened and not just going, oh, well, it died moving on. Know that that makes you a more conscientious keeper. I do believe that is a positive thing. But if it gets to the point where you start doing silly things because of it, and we'll get to that at the end of this, that can be a detriment. So the next spot that I get that people have the crisis of confidence. And again, I went back and read through a lot of emails, was looking at comments. I'd actually taken notes for something like this a while back. I tried to find those. And one of the things I've noticed is that people get into the hobby. They get a couple things. They take it slow. They take it really slow. I'm doing my research. I've been researching for six months. I've decided I'm getting a G poker piece. Well, what happens? Five months later, they have 40-something tarantulas. They're not doing as much research anymore. They're just grabbing stuff up because they've got that, you know, got to catch them all vibe that we get when we really fall headfirst into the tarantula hobby. They're picking things up on a whim or not doing the research. Suddenly, they find that they have 40 or 50 tarantulas. And now they're overwhelmed. So I would say one of the other big spots with the crisis of confidence is when you've overdone it or when you've kind of jumped in and not taken a moment to recognize that, hey, you haven't quite perfected keeping one tarantula. And usually it's one of the beginner species that are pretty much bulletproof, so you kind of can't go wrong. They really need no care except drop some prey items in, maybe moisten a corner, keep a water dish. Suddenly you've got fossorial species, you've got some of the arboreals, you picked up a couple of vicularia because they're, you know, you like the way they look that's the moment where people go, uh-oh, what have I done? Suddenly your maintenance is taking a little bit longer. Suddenly you're realizing that the moisture-dependent species, you know, it's it, it takes a little more time to care. And again, they're not really that difficult, but this is the other spot where I have people that will email me or message me and go, you know what? I'm starting to feel overwhelmed. I'm starting to feel like I overdid it. So that's another spot. And that's something we've talked about. Again, we've I've covered the deaths one before, so I'm not going to go. If you want to go back through the catalog of podcasts, I have one where I specifically talk about deaths and what to do when you have a death and stuff. So that's why I'm not you know, beating these totally over the head. And I believe I also did one about collections when your collection gets too big. That's a tough spot for some people. And sometimes that's a spot where you have that crisis of confidence and it's well-deserved. I think, and I'm not pointing the finger at anybody in particular, but I have spoken to people that have admittedly went, you know what, I took on too much too soon. I remember one person was emailing me just about every week with their newest it was literally like this whole new world opened up and I've got this one I got this one coming I got this one coming they hit 75 within a couple months and then I got an email going I really took a step back and I realized I overdid it and I have to downsize and they were trying to sell off some of the ones they had and they ended up if I remember correctly I did lose touch with them they had they brought it back down to like 20 and then little by little added one here or there. So they, they reset, which is great. I think that's a responsible thing to do. If you've realized you're overwhelmed, then you need to do something to alleviate that feeling. You need to do something that's going to make you feel like you're more in control and sometimes getting rid of some of them. I think in this case, he got rid of a bunch of his you know duplicates. He was doing like, I'd buy three of this one, three of this one trying to get a female. He was talking about getting breeding pairs. He took a huge step back and just said, let me reset. So when you get to the point where you are overwhelmed because you overdid it, you jumped in head first, you're, now you're drowning, the best thing to do is take a step back. If it's possible, reduce the size of your collection a bit. Pick the ones that you can't wait to raise. Pick the ones that you feel most comfortable with. Let some of them go. Otherwise, what you end up with is those situations, and again, back to the YouTube thing, where folks just keep buying, 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 buying. YouTube, it happens a lot because 
you always want to have something new to show off. You want something fresh. You want it. People love unboxing videos. They love hearing about your new animals. So that pushes there to go and buy more and more and more and more. And then you end up in a spot where all of a sudden, like things are just dropping like flies. That leads to the death thing where suddenly, oh my God, I've lost four tarantulas because I wasn't able to give them the care that they needed. You want to avoid that like the plague. So if there's ever a point where you realize that you've overdone it and that you're starting to feel your confidence shake, that is not a good type of feeling. That is not a positive. We talked about some of these have you know positive and negative effects. That's a bad situation because then it becomes stressful. Then you avoid it. Then most of us, why do you get in hobbies in the first place? They help alleviate stress. They're calming. They're what you do when you're not working and busting your butt and working nine to five and everything. It's supposed to be a relaxing thing. It shouldn't be something that causes more stress to your life. When it causes more stress to your life, that ends up, you know, you end up messing up. You end up avoiding it. It's like, oh my God, I got so many things. I got to rehouse these, but I really don't feel like doing it. That can be a huge issue. So making sure you don't overdo it, monitoring where you're at. I've, I talked before about how the fact I got at one point, I end up getting a bunch of slings in at once. And there was a moment there where I was like, we might've just gone overboard. I worked through it. Luckily, I got some mature males, and then I was much more careful from that point on to make sure that I didn't overdo it with how many I could take care of to my standard of care. That's the important part, and that's what I went over in that video about over or the podcast about overdoing it, is the fact that set your standard. This is the type of care. This is how often I want to make sure I'm checking on them. This is how often I want to feed them. This is how often I want to make sure that you know I'm whatever the the husbandry needs may be. And then make sure you can keep up to it. Because if you start cutting corners, if you're like, you know what, I like feeding them every two weeks, but it's like once a month now, not because you're making that conscious decision, but because you don't have the time because there's too many of them. That's when the problems start. That's when you start getting the debts. And that's when the confidence starts to crumble a bit. So big spot there. I've had many emails, many comments over the years from folks who jumped in got in deep, and then it became a source of stress. You want to monitor that. You want to make sure it never gets to that point. And if you find yourself in that point, be responsible, downsize a little bit, get to a point where you feel comfortable, where it's not causing stress, where you're not having deaths because of the fact you can't care for them correctly, and where it won't you know, basically destroy your confidence as far as a keeper. Now, the next spot I usually find people starting to lose their confidence and having that crisis of confidence is when they make the transition from keeping beginner species to either intermediate or the big one would be old worlds. I can't tell you how many folks have contacted me where the tarantula, they've purchased their first old world, it's on the way, and they are second-guessing themselves. They are feeling like they are not ready. I just literally got two of these this week where I've got my first old world tarantula coming. And now I'm thinking I made a mistake and I want to cancel it. It happens. And I remember, I, I think I've joked about the fact that when I got my first OBT, all I had read about is how these guys were just completely bonkers, spitfire. They're going to try to kill you. They're aggressive. They're nasty. They they seek you out and try to kill you when you're sleeping. Like all that garbage you hear about it. And we got my first OBT sling. It was a little like half inch brown sling. And I treated that thing like it was radioactive. Like I can remember sitting there like it, it ran a little bit like, oh God, it's going to get me. It was ridiculous. And that part of it was due to the fact that it was all the negative things I had read about them. It didn't occur to me that I was dealing with a tiny sling that was much more scared of me than I was scared. Actually, might not have been at that point. But anyway, it's, I remember that. I remember getting my first piece of Letheria species, which was a three and a half inch sex female P. Vitata. So jumped right in the deep end there by not even starting with the sling. This thing was good size. And I remember my son and my oldest son and I doing a rehousing for that one. Like 
literally you would have thought we were dealing with a, a, a monster the way we were being so careful with it, which it's good to be careful, but it's not good to be the, you know overly careful to the point where you're going to make a mistake. But I think a lot of us, when we make that transition from keeping the quote unquote beginner species to the old worlds, there is always that point where you go, oh my gosh, am I ready for this? Is this thing going to get out? Am I going to end up with a spider loose in the house that's going to bite one of my kids or bite one of my pets? Am I going to get bitten? What should I do? We all go through it. I can remember going through it. I think it's perfectly 100% natural as long as that it doesn't build to a point where it's a fear that causes you to screw up when you're rehousing. So what I say about that is like, for many of us at least, not all of us, I've heard people that just picked up the first old world, they're totally fine, there was no fear, but for a lot of us, there is that oh gosh factor that have I just jumped in the deep end, and remember, we're talking about crisis of confidence, it means you don't, you've suddenly lost confidence in your abilities as a keeper, you've lost that feeling that you're like, I can handle this, I can do this, I am competent, and that can be a dangerous thing, and I think for a lot of us, when you make that switch, there is always in the back of the mind, back of your mind, have I gone too far? Am I ready for this? Is it going to result in catastrophe? It's usually not, is the spider going to get hurt? It's, is the spider going to get out? Is it going to get lost in my house? Am I going to get bit? Am I going to end up with the spider on my back? Am I going to end up with a spider up my leg? Whatever it may be, it's one of those spots that can really break your confidence. And so again, I've had you know two just this week, people ordering them, saying they think they made a mistake. Over the course of the years, many, probably dozens of folks who have either emailed before it came in. I've had folks email me and say that they're having second thoughts and then went and canceled their order. I've had folks that got it in that have emailed me while the spider is literally sitting in the vial on their table. They've unboxed it and the excitement's worn off. And now they're staring at this going, I think I made a terrible mistake. So it happens a lot with the first old worlds. It happens a lot with first piece of Letheria species because, again, it's one of those genera genera of spiders that have been totally demonized so people are expecting them to be you know absolute aggressive killers they're usually not so that is another spot where some folks will start feeling like am i up for this am i ready for this i i went from having just brachypelma and a fauna species now i'm bringing in this hmac what am i going to do so i think the trick with that is to again try to be cognizant of the fact that Usually 99% of the time, if your tarantula's housed correctly, you're not going to have any issues with it. The biggest part, the biggest issue is going to come with the rehousings. Now, your first housing, worst case scenario, if you find yourself in a situation where your confidence is completely failing you, you've got the little vial on your table, the table, get an enclosure that allows you to just drop that vial in, take the top off, take the little piece of paper there that's on the top of it, leave it, let it come out on its own. Done. Now you've got your spider in there. You've done your first housing. That is not cheating. That's just being smart and you're in good shape and you can kind of relax and start raising up your spider. I hear people sometimes say, oh, that's cheating. It's not cheating at all. It's being smart. And it's especially if you're at a point where you're having that lapse of confidence, a crisis of confidence. Again, that's not always a logical response. Your brain is not looking at the fact that you've done a lot of research, a lot of, you know, maybe you have tons of experience to this point. It's just, it's that sliver of doubt that kind of gets in there, festers and creates a situation where you've completely lost all faith in yourself, then you need to do something to make sure that you can at least get that spider housed and then regroup, take a deep breath. I, I think with a lot of people, once they get that spider housed and they notice that they're more shy, if, especially if you set them up correctly, the old worlds are more shy than anything. 
you don't you see them. Suddenly they realize this thing isn't usually, they're not going to burst out of that enclosure and try to get you. Usually if you j- jiggle the enclosure around a little bit, they disappear in their burrows. You drop your roach in or your cricket in or your mealworm in. You put the cap on, they're good to go. So I think that's a good trick. And then when you do your next rehousing, watch some rehousing videos. I know a guy does a lot of them. And try to, you know, get an idea of what you're going to be looking at, what you can expect. Do it in a place. Again, we did the, I did the whole podcast on the rehousings. And I think that would be a good spot to go over that here. Not to promote my own stuff, but I do think I've got some tips in there that'll help people out. But go through those housing, rehousings, watch some videos, recognize that just take all the time you need. Don't rush it. A good rehousing. I had some of the other day, I, I posted a rehousing video. And they went, eh, mine didn't go nearly as well. It took a half hour, but it was calm the whole time. That's good rehousing. It doesn't matter. Sometimes they go in, like, you get them in in a minute. Sometimes it takes a half hour. As long as everybody stays calm, it's good rehousing. But prepare for that. Get in a situation where you feel comfortable. Try to recognize that worst case scenario, well, don't go worst, worst case. Usually the worst case scenario is the spider gets doesn't go directly from container A to container B. But if you set up, if you have a big basin out there to catch the spider, if you have your paper towels in the corner, multiple catch cups, if you're doing it in an area where it's free of clutter, that you can see the spider, you're going to be just fine. So again, old worlds, big one. I think the trick for most of the, the big thing is to recognize that 99.9% of the time, you're not going to be doing anything with those old world tarantulas that should result in an escape or a bite. If you've got them housed correctly, that's my caveat. If you're putting them in, you know, if you you got a burrowing, I don't know, uh, Kilobrachy species, and you put it in a shallow little container with an inch of substrate and a little ghetto hide, yeah, you're probably going to have some trouble, but that's on you for not doing your research. But if it's set up correctly, it has the room to burrow, you gave it a starter burrow, you're keeping the substrate moist, you shouldn't have any trouble. So try to keep that in mind when going into the old worlds. And again, just be sure you're ready. That's another thing too. You know, don't jump the gun. They'll be there They'll, when you're ready, it drives me out sometimes because I'll post up a video featuring an old world species and somebody will come on and go, yeah, I'm not ready for those yet, which is perfectly 100% acceptable. But then somebody will come on and go, what are you waiting for? Just grab it up. No, no, take your time. I don't feel like you need to force anybody. If they're not ready yet, they're not ready yet. That's going to be a person that's going to have that crisis of confidence when they end up picking up their first, if they feel forced into where they weren't ready. Now, again, Heads up for the majority of us, even when we feel ready, once the spider actually arrives, that's when the doubts creep in, but you need to tamp them down, try to pull on that logical side of your brain and recognize I'm ready for this. There's not that much that can go wrong as long as I'm careful and, you know, do things carefully, drop that container right in, take the top off if you have to, you'll be perfectly fine with it. Now, the last one we're going to cover that I see that usually results in a crisis of confidence, and this happens a lot, and it probably should have been the first one, but we'll end on this one. People who got their first tarantula. Your first tarantula is the one where you really second guess yourself. I just had somebody contact me that got their first tarantula. It's been set up for like two months, and they are totally freaking out, want to get rid of it because they just now think they're not ready for it and they're not doing things correctly. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, again, we've gone through before how tarantula are different from other animals. They're much easier than the majority of other animals because they don't need that daily care that, say, a dog or a ferret or a gerbil or a rabbit or something like that would need. They That 
plays with people's heads a little bit. That takes a while for that to really sink in and for people to really appreciate and understand that they are one of the most hands-off pets you can possibly have. Even less, I'd say easier sometimes than, than tropical fish as far as, you know, something you have to feed every day, you don't. Do you have to check on them every day? Technically not. They do really well with minimal care. But what happens is we get them and that stuff starts to prey on us. Well, I get my feed in enough. I can't tell you how many people will tell me, hey, I read that they only have to be fed once a month, but I figured mine, I should feed it two or three times a day. And it's like, oh, God, no, no, no. And then what ends up happening? They have a spider that fattens up over the course of a week and goes into like a five-month pre-molt and they're freaking out thinking that they broke their spider. First tarantulas can be very very stressful, especially for people who have done some research, because as we've all learned, there is a lot of inconsistent information out there. There is a lot of misinformation out there. There are a lot of people putting things out there that quite frankly aren't correct or putting things out there with like, I don't know, ideal humidity, ideal temperatures, people telling you you need to heat the tarantula, people telling you, you know, your rosier tarantula, you got to spray it down at least three times a day. All that stuff is very, we all know, those, at least those of us who are listening to this podcast that have been in the hobby for any length of time recognize that that's all BS. It's all malarkey. That's not, you don't need to worry about any of that stuff for the most part. But for somebody getting into the hobby for the first time, they don't know how to break down that information. They look and they go, hey, this guy seems to know what he's talking about. And he's telling me I need to keep my G Porteri at 85 degrees and the humidity at 80%. That sounds... It doesn't sound unreasonable to somebody who's just getting into the hobby that doesn't have that experience. And that's where we run into problems because now what ends up happening is they hop on to, you know, they set their tarantula up. They've got their G Porteri. It's got moist substrate. It's got, uh, you know, a water dish with gel crystals in it. They've got a heat mat in there. All this stuff that we know is wrong. And the tarantula looks like it's upset because it is upset. It doesn't like the moist substrate. It's too warm and humid. So what do they do? They start tweaking stuff out and they go, all right, well, I guess it's not moist enough. So they add more water, they do the wrong thing. And then you get a situation where they've, you know, unknowingly created a death trap for that animal while they're trying to improve things, they're making it worse. A lot of us have probably been there before. I think I spoke about the fact that when I first got my G. Porteri, the pamphlet I received at a pet store on how to take care of it said I had to spray it down three times a day. It said I had to put a sponge in the water dish. Well, I found out pretty quickly just by observing it that any spot that I sprayed down, it avoided like the plague. I also managed to think, why would it need a sponge in the water dish? Its fangs aren't straws. It should be able to drink out of, like I'm thinking in the wild, they don't have anything like this. It was weird. So I took the water, the sponge out of the water dish. And I remember early on, I was very fortunate to catch mine drinking out of it. So in my mind, I went, okay, it will drink out of a water dish and it doesn't seem to like the spraying. So I'm going to keep things. I did for a little while, keep a corner moist, but after seeing that it was avoiding that, that every time I moistened down a quarter, it would go to the opposite corner. I stopped doing it. But for some people, that's going to be tricky. They're not necessarily going to put that, you know, two and two together. I think, again, I benefited greatly from the fact that I was raised, you know, on a small farm. We had like a hobby farm type thing where we had lots of animals. I spent a lot of time around animals, but not everybody had that luxury or had that background. So they end up in situations where suddenly they get their first pet. It's not doing what they expected it to do. It's not settling in. It's climbing the corners. And now they're freaking out that they have bitten off more than they can chew and that they're not able to take care of tarantulas correctly, which is, you know, I don't want to say funny because it's not funny, but I think for those of us who really got some experience under our belt, you recognize just how easy the majority of there's only so many combinations of ways to keep them. They're 
really an easy animal to keep. I feel like, you know, talk about, you know, feeling like a fraud sometimes. I'm, I'm doing these videos and everything in these podcasts and, and some of the information is so similar if you're paying attention because there's really only so many ways to keep them in captivity for the most part. So first tarantulas ever definitely cause some anxiety. People will have a crisis of confidence. They'll think they bit off more than they can chew. That's one of the spots I think that people run into that situation where suddenly they've got the animal, they're looking at it and my care is just not good enough. I'm going to screw it up. I'm going to kill it. It's not, you know, why isn't it eating? Why is it scrunched up in the corner? That can be very difficult. And that's something that unfortunately will take some time to go away. It'll take some research. It'll take some reaching out to people. That's where sometimes the Facebook groups can be decent if people don't jump all over you when you go out and you post a picture and just get kind of some feedback or some reassurance that you're okay. Here, Here's my spider. I just got my first one. Could you please check out this set up and tell me if I'm on the right track here. And then, you know, maybe people come on and go, well, I would get rid of that, you know, heat mat in the side. I would get rid of, you know, the sponge in the water dish. I would let the substrate dry out. Or in a lot of cases, people come on and go, yeah, it looks pretty darn good. Just let it settle in a little bit. and It'll be just fine. So obviously for many of us, the first tea is a big one. Now, can you have a crisis of confidence with none of this? Yes. Yes, you can. And I think when you start really getting into the hobby and you start amassing a large collection and you start really getting into it, if you are, and I think Adam, you hit the nail on the head for people that are, you know, thoughtful people, intelligent people, analytic people, you're always thinking about new ways to change things. And I think sometimes some of us just have those moments where you take a step back and you go, man, am I doing this right? Am I doing this correctly? I think that can happen to the best of us. And I think the positives of that are we are always looking to improve. I like to think people with that mindset are listening to others. They're not shutting down people with all, you know, alternative perspectives. They are listening to it. Even if it's something you're like flat out, I do not agree with you at all. You're still hearing it. You're still listening. And sometimes there can be information to be cleaned out of it. You know, I've shared probably ad nauseum the story about how I watched a video where somebody was keeping P. muticus on shallow substrate. And I started thinking about how mine seemed to be digging down at the bottom and not coming up for food. And it got me thinking and I ended up saving two P. muticus juveniles by getting them out of that deep substrate and into something not totally shallow. They still had room to dig, but not deep enough that they could lose themselves. So that was something that I originally looked at and went, I don't agree with this at all. This is not how you should keep this species. This is why people end up with really high, strung and defensive old world species, but it caused me to look at the situation a little bit different with my own tarantulas and something good came out of it. So unfortunately, I think for some of us, there's always going to be that lingering doubt. There's never, I would love there to be a moment where I can walk up in my room and just be totally 100% comfortable. I am the Mac daddy of tarantulas. I know everything I'm doing. I've never felt that way. I'm always observing always. And sadly, there's always situations yesterday. I'll just share a little story. My G Pokerpy is the one I raised from a quarter inch sling. She's now, you know, probably about five and a half inches or so. I came up yesterday morning about 730 and she was, she had done a molt mat and flipped over for a molt. I'm like, I can't wait. I'm so excited. This girl, I kind of see her as the heir apparent to the queen only because I love G Pokerpies and it's kind of a, you know, similar species still in the Gramostola and she's going to be a big beefy female. I can't wait. I just love this girl. And so I did some work, did some editing on a video, kept checking on her. She didn't move for eight hours straight. And I started to get a little worried. And I'm like, I had just spoken to somebody the other day that said they had a tarantula flip the molt. Three days later, it was still flipped. It never came out. It got stuck and it died. And I said, yeah, knock on wood. Luckily, I've never had that happen. I'm like, oh my God, the doubt the doubt crept in. I immediately was like, what the heck did I do wrong? I have photos and video of her. I'm still working on that water, that water dish video. I have 
current photos before where I knew she was in pre-mold. She was taking a long drink from her water disc, so I knew she had water. I'm like, my God, what happened? Because I usually... Eight hours, you see some type of movement. Well, luckily last night, there was a UFC night. The pay-per-view was on. It was late. I got up here at about 1.30 and she had molted out. So, but even then, there was that doubt. This is, I have seen how many hundreds of molts in my collection over the years and I still had that little bit of doubt. So unfortunately, I think for some of us, there's always going to be that propensity to have some self-doubt, to second-guess yourself. I would love to be rid of that. I do think that it can be a positive, but I have seen situations where it can create a negative impact on your keeping. And those are situations where you start to freak out. You start, you know, and again, a lot of times it's not a logical feeling. You start to freak out. You start to basically forget what you've learned about tarantulas and do things that you know aren't correct. Like somebody the other day told me they freaked out because they thought their tarantula was dead. They dug up the burrow and they dropped a live cricket in the burrow. They got a flashlight in there, realized the tarantula had just molted. That's when you start doing stuff wrong that can compromise the health of your tarantulas. That's when you forget the research. You forget all the rules to keeping tarantulas and start breaking those rules out of sheer panic. Again, Many of us have been there. I've done some stupid things. I've dug things up before because I freaked out, thought the tarantula was dead. Uh, we've all been there. I've heard of people that, you know, they get a tarantula, they think it's sick. So they start spraying down the whole enclosure and, and moistening things down for species that don't require moist substrate. I had somebody do that with a G. porteri where they thought it was looking lethargic. So they basically covered all the ventilation and created an ICU with the actual enclosure by moistening everything up. That poor thing, I was like, get it out of there, get it on dry substrate, leave it alone. It ended up being fine. But that's what happens. You panic and you start doing things wrong. So that's the negative aspect of it is if that sliver of doubt creeps in there too far, it starts spreading like a cancer. It basically devours the logical side of your brain and you end up in, with a situation where you're not using logical thinking. You're starting to work merely on panic and that's when you start to make the mistakes that are going to make things worse for your tarantulas. They're going to result in deaths, which are only going to perpetuate that feeling that you don't know what you're doing. That's a terrible situation. So the idea is, I think a, a healthy level of it is good. It's going to create you know, it's going to cause us to be more thoughtful, conscientious keepers, ones that are going to keep an open mind and always look for ways to improve what we're doing with our animals. But if it goes too far, you have a situation where you're going to become exactly, it's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. You're going to end up doing things wrong. You're going to end up putting the your animals in harm's way by making mistakes that you normally wouldn't make if you were in your right mind. So again, I think we've all been, a, the, the moral of the story is I think many of us have been there. The good thing is we do have communities that you can reach out to. Granted, some are more hostile than others, but there are some good Facebook communities out there that if you're having a situation where you're feeling like you're you're losing your confidence a bit and you're doing things wrong, feel free to post. I think that's another thing is we need to be, as a hobby, a little more embracing of when people are struggling a bit instead of jumping all over I'm like you know this whatever being able to share hey I'm, I'm freaking out a little bit I lost some slings I've, I'm wondering if I'm doing something wrong that can sometimes just talking to people that can calm me down and go hey man you're all right it's you know let's figure it out that can help immensely but yes it happens it happens to a lot of us there are many things that can bring it on again the deaths buying too many too quickly moving into old worlds you're just your first tarantula 
or making that decision to share what you're doing in your own home with many other people to open yourself up to criticism, to open yourself up to people, being able to go over every little detail of what you're doing, what your tarantula room looks like, what your setups look like, that can add another layer. So the trick is to always try to pull yourself back from those situations. Take a deep breath, recognize, I mean, as long as you're doing everything correctly, if there's a situation where you're a terrible keeper, I don't know what to say, but I think the majority of people that have these situations are already doing, they're conscientious, they're doing things well, but take a step back, try to figure out what's going on, try to talk yourself down, talk to other people about it, reach out, I think that's probably half of my emails are from people that I think just need reassurance that they're not screwing everything up, and I try to give that reassurance, and I would say 90% of the time, they're doing things just fine and I'm able to reassure them. Every once in a while, I'll see something. I'll say, send me a picture of your setup and I'll see something. I'll be like, hey, you want to fix this? They fix it. It's fine after that. But being able to reach out is a big one. Being able to, the good thing is this hobby is huge. There are a lot of people out there. There are a lot of groups. Find a good group, a good group of people that you can discuss things with, that you can talk about them with. Because again, when you get too much in your own head, sometimes you need to get out, hear other perspectives, have people calm you down. If you're doing something wrong, somebody can help you. If you're doing something right and it's just some bad luck or you're just kind of being too hard on yourself, again, reaching out can get you the help you need to hopefully get your mind back to where it needs to be so you can keep these guys correctly and not find yourself in a situation where you're suddenly staring at a collection of 60 animals that used to bring you great joy, but now bring you great anxiety. Nobody wants that to happen. So, Adam, hope I covered the topic well enough. Hopefully people found this useful. Again, every once in a while I like to break in one of these because I do think there is, I think this is what allows me to kind of keep doing the Tom's Big Spider stuff is I do have these lapses in confidence sometimes. I do know what it feels like. People will be like, I know you, you've you never had this happen. No, trust me. If it's if there's a way you can you know be bad on yourself or come down on yourself, I've been there, I've done that. But I do think it's nice to sometimes discuss it and it hopefully this helps some people that are going through this to be able to recognize which of those things kicked it off. Was there a death? Did they overdo it? Was it first pokey? Are you just the type of person person that you're always going to be like that. And then you have to know that as well about yourself. If you're a perfectionist and you're always freaking out about this kind of stuff. That's something you're going to have to work through. And you've probably had to work through it in other aspects of your life, but hopefully just articulating it, kind of laying it out there. It'll help some folks out with that aspect of the hobby. And again, the whole point of this is to take some of the stress out of keeping tarantulas. So hopefully this helps some people do that. So that will do it for this one. As always, you can find me on tomsbigspiders.com. You can find me on Tom's Big Spiders on YouTube. I had my newest video for folks who are you know, crossing over is a rehousing of my juvenile C. Marshalli, which went really well. Love that species. Love those little horns. Uh, that will do it for this one. As always, guys, stay safe, and we'll catch you all next time.